Welcome to the Ohio Ministry Network podcast. The following audio was recorded at the 2014 Forum. For more information, please visit ohioministry.net. Good morning to you. I'm Judy Rachels. I know almost none of you, but it's so good to see you. (laughs) Kay, good to see you again. And uh, what a great thing, the family of God. And what a great thing that God has seen our talents and lack of them, in fact, has extended that gifting to us and then called us to this highest place of privilege where we now stand. And um, it's great to be with you. I think you probably know enough about me. I'm a mom of three kids. Uh, Our oldest boy is a pastor and our second boy is a businessman. Third girl, the third child, I come lately. They were 10 and 13, the boys, when she arrived. And it's been a fun to have a second journey. And she's the assistant alumni director at Vanguard University there in Southern California. Ten years we spent in ministry here. Uh, I spent mostly inside raising the two young boys and Ray uh, trotted around through from town to town here as DYB and uh, we loved Ohio very much. But when the call came from 32 people to be their pastor in sunny California, somehow that appealed to us. And a U-Haul trip later across country in July with those two little boys uh, and we never had the courage to come back after that. It was such a long journey. Credentialed women, and uh, I'm just going to repeat something that I said to the general presbyters. And first of all, let me just say uh, how grateful I am, and I believe you are too, for Dr. Wood's leadership. You know, his mother was a minister, and he's always had just a great open heart toward the gifts of women enhancing the Church of Jesus Christ. And uh, so he committed at the beginning of his leadership to make a way for us and, and created a task force that has endured now for his entire tenure. And uh, Strides have been made in helping us open doors and helping uh, that happen. So when we spoke at the General Presbytery meeting, I said a few of these words that I'll repeat to you. Credentialed women are celebrating the investment of their talents. They're giving their best. They're finding fulfillment in ministry opportunities. They are imagining new venues. They are stepping up to the unglamorous and lonely places. Ask these women what matter, and they will tell you they have a burning motivation to make a difference for the cause of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. They aren't looking for benign sweetness uh, of little parties with baby shower uh, matching napkins. No, they're leading street meetings late at night, downtown, on corners, among the disenfranchised, among the ruined. And they are among the most hurt and broken. They want to tell a greater story. They want to live out the truth. They want to bring the light. And they want to show the way. And they are finding that deep joy born of investing themselves in meaningful lifestyle. There are women teaching life skills. um, Reducing never before written languages into Bibles, Testaments, they're finding purpose and lifting those around them and starting micro-businesses and calling out the best in themselves and working alongside and translating the Word of God into lifestyle. Well, I said more than that, but I just wanted to read that. that is that okay? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, that's what I wanted those men and women to know. That we had how many women at the General Presbytery meeting this year? Do you recall? Was it 23 Females, <laughs> you have to have some history to know how very, very wonderful that is at the highest level of leadership. That we, not, not that that's what we do in order to get there. That's not it. Heaven's our goal. Eternity is our, is our goal. But wonderful that we can bring the perspective that women have of that wonderfully horizontal kind of leadership we do, relationship-based, uh, to the tables where decisions are made and reports are form, formed and a new 
um, ventures are entered into. And you'll take a look at that first photo, as I'm sure you already have. Do you get it? Uh, I think maybe a good caption that, for that would be, we will do anything to get the harvest to market. If you notice, there are only three wheels, right? Now, you can't take a three-wheel cart to the marketplace or anywhere else. You have got to have some help. And my dear lady friend there is standing there to balance the weight so they can get where they need to go. And I saw that picture. I said, this is me. That's what I do. I don't sing. I don't play piano. I barely type. And so I thought it was insulated from, from the stereotype of ministry, and uh, I have been. And I found that I could do what I do without those virtues, and uh, though it would have been convenient <laughs> a few years back, uh, especially, for me to be able to step up. And I'm not knocking the fact that I'm not musical. It's just that in my generation, that was such a need, needed thing for, uh, for whatever, at least human, we thought so. And on the first page of your notes, I have uh, uh, something that I have on the flyleaf of my Bible. They're words that I copied 40 years ago. They're a bit old-fashioned, <laughs> or we could say they are a bit uh, timeless. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb, and shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. We've sung it. We know it. Some of you don't. And I thought for the ones that didn't, perhaps this might be a good anchor for you and your generation in terms of the kinds of feelings we have when we respond back to God at the nudging of his call. And then I wrote, who walks with God must take his way across the distance far and gray to goals that others do not see, where others do not care to be. Who walks with God must have no fear when danger and defeat appear, nor stop when every hope is gone, for God, our God, moves on. I had the privilege at age 16 of being in a Christian high school, and we had chapel service every day. Um... It was a life-changing experience for me. Uh, when I graduated a couple of years later from Evangel University, it was my 18th school. Perhaps that gives you a little bit of a clue <laughs> how my life was turning and why my parents decided uh, that I could go to this wonderful Christian boarding school. And I sat there one morning in chapel and looked back over my shoulder, and I saw a woman, a tall woman. It seemed she was drifting down the aisle. I'm sure she had feet. I later saw them. But when I watched her, it was, it was something amazing that carried her down and she stood there in front of us on that morning I was uh, 15 years old and she said when my husband my husband's life was taken out by the Aka Indians on the beach in Ecuador I said at that moment the first people to whom I want to tell my story should be the students at the school that I graduated from and I happened to be a student there, and it was Elizabeth Elliot. <laughs> and if you know anything of her writings and of her thinking, you know that she's been a gift to the Christian world. A brilliant woman, a passionate lover of Jesus Christ, and a, 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 certainly a, a force in her own right. Perhaps for those of you who don't know the story, five wonderful young couples out of Moody Bible Institute and Wheaton, uh, that evangelical bench. She's actually the daughter of the president of the uh, National um, uh, uh, um, 
well, whatever, the NAE or NEA, whichever that, well, Evangelical Association, yes, very strong evangelicals, non-Pentecostal. And uh, uh, these five couples had decided to go to Ecuador and break ground there. And they settled um, in various places, and then they they were pilots and had access to airplanes and would visit each other and do various kinds of ministries, breaking ground there in the country of Ecuador. And uh, the world was stunned one morning on our newspaper headlines around the United States, about five American couples horribly martyred, excuse me, men martyred on a beach with long spears through their back. Most of those those Indian um, groups have now become believers, and there is a strong church in Ecuador. But more than that, hundreds of young people in the United States, when we awoke to that news, said, I will go, and I will take their place. And missions organizations that had been languishing and had not been um, doing well at all suddenly found their boxes full of applicants to go. So God doesn't make mistakes. I tell myself, as I'm sure you do, so very, very often, how uh, I think he's about to, (laughs) and would he please notice. Um, Even at my advanced age, (laughs) though there is no doubt that he is the sovereign one. Well, on your notes, I I, um, have just a few places we can fill in just to kind of give you some remembrance of a few of the things we talked about today. Called Women Find Meaning, as described by Frederick Buechner (laughs) in uh, one of his famous writings. He said this, uh, he defined meaning as the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. A place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. And you say, yes, God, this is it. And in the moments when things are swirling and when budgets are not seeming to make sense and families are not the perfect ones you see on Christmas cards, we come back to that, our place of deep gladness. And we look around and my goodness, I caught the news just a moment and see that, that even today, our world is certainly, well, I won't say what I really think, but uh, it is in need of our shining words of hope and honor to God. So I honor you today as that long part, that part of that, uh, what Henry Nouwen calls the church, that uh, long line of witness. Henry Nouwen, the great uh, Catholic thinker, when he describes the church, he describes it as a long line of witness. We heard it last night, did we not? Witness? A long line of witness stretching from Jesus to Peter and up to today. That's the church. We are segmented parts of it. But the segmented parts of it are vital and are doing what God intended and what God saw and what Jesus brought forth on that day when he called out the church, not just the church with ends on it and sides on it and a front and back, that church, that ongoing witness, those people that you now have not even touched in your neighborhoods and in your places who will become once we have no longer been the part of the of the church. You don't do any of the things you do for those reasons, but today will you hear me? Will you receive from me appreciation for being witness to the matchless work of Jesus in our time? You give witness to the resurrection every time you sacrifice, which I'm sure is often. Every time you rise to try again, every time you meet disappointment, every time you adjust your behavior by the work of the Holy Spirit, every time you don't give in to yourself, 
and its dastardly call towards selfishness. I honor you today. You're part of that great line that Henry Nouwen speaks of in his definition of the church. So most of us here have been touched by some witness. It would be wonderful to just think back and have, have you say, but in your own mind, think of the witness that touched you. Was it a grandmother, a mother? Was it a neighbor? Was it a friend? Was it in college? That, that witness came to you. That church began to touch you then in its way and lead you toward this place where now you are leaders of the church. So that as you lead, you are so mindful of the way God builds his church through faithfulness like we have and through those who respond to his call. And the next little note I wanted you to take here is the call of God is, (laughs) you could write your own words because you know. What do you think of these? The call of God is personal. You knew it was for you. And it is radical. You will agree, perhaps at the time of that calling that we received, we did not realize how radical. Some of us who who were raised in pastor's home had a bit of a clue. And maybe it was a bit harder for us. Am I being um, self-disclosing at this moment? Yes. (laughs) Having grown up uh, uh, in in a very vital ministry family where they were 100% committed to whatever Jesus wanted. And (laughs) I knew that coming in. When I began to totter around right here in Ohio, and I was born in Massillon, and my parents were pastoring a little church in what they always have said, New Philly. It was just New Philadelphia, right? And um, stories abound that I have listened to. You don't want to hear them all. How poor they were and all the things that went on. <laughs> and eventually Massillon. And then their, their um, journey took them to uh, World War II. My dad and I uh, was in combat for 24 months in World War II in the South Pacific. Then out of that into Dayton, Bethel Temple. Perhaps you know that church. And... Uh, and uh, on into being president of, of Southeastern and North Central. So what a journey I had as their only child. So it wasn't just that the two of them were in the ministry. All three of us were in the ministry. My place was on the front row, swinging my legs. I had never heard of Children's Church and probably uh, <laughs> in my dreams, but I could, I could play tattoo with the best of you and connect the dots and all those written games. I knew about the church and its sacrifice. How many of you are second generation? How many of your parents are... Okay, so not many of us, huh? And so then I met, you know, after I lost one perfectly good boyfriend, the second boyfriend who was going to be a minister, I I, I did everything to convince him. There are vital ways of serving Jesus in the marketplace. They need you in city government. (laughs) No, God had called him to be a world evangelist. I do remind him of that every now and then. (laughs) We are not world evangelists, but... (laughs) But on that, he answered the call. (laughs) And we have found ourselves in a very fulfilling ministry. But there were days. (laughs) May I say, there were days. And many of them happened right here in Ohio. The child-rearing days were interesting for me. Um, I don't want to just talk about myself, but it's me who knows me best. (laughs) But... uh, but those days of uh, stuffing those boys in snowsuits <laughs> alone and getting to church and teaching Sunday school because I wanted to do everything within that local church that I would have done if I were the pastor's wife because I wanted, because I was called, because it was my gifting, because it was all I ever knew in my life anyway, and because I knew someday I might be a pastor's wife and I didn't want to feel one bit guilty when I encouraged folks to get busy in the church. And so I saw God granted me the privilege of seeing for 10 years that side of the ministry, just as really just helping uh, the family survive. I taught school for about 13 years as well, public school. 
So let me just um, let me just talk for a minute about um, about another great writer that I like, and his name is Reuben Job. I don't know if you've ever read any of his wonderful devotionals and prayer books. Reuben Job, uh, they're just you'll find him online. Wonderful devotional words that are rich and deep, not just have a happy day and here's here's how, but uh, things that get down and and, uh, and and stay in your soul, ruminate there. He says this, from fear to courage is the natural journey that all who walk with God. From fear to courage. And if indeed that's happened in our lives, uh, no wonder it was a bit traumatic for us as we began to discover the ways of God and the places we might because we women, I think, or at least I will speak for myself, I, I, after being in 18 schools, you can know why. I want a root system. I want to be there. I want it to, you know, I want to be sustained. And, and I think maybe men's ego is not tied to all that, or at least some of them. They've got their eyes set out there, and the rest of this doesn't really matter. So when I realized that that great fear that was in me was just a process that I was to go through, and it would do in and through me all God intended for it to do, so that courage indeed could be born. When I, when I found that phrase, I thought it was so helpful. Now, um, the call of God is radical, it's personal and radical, and it is permanent. Write that one down. <laughs> the call is permanent. The place, of course, uh, changes from time to time, and God takes care of that. And it comes with, that call comes with the promise of power. Keep that all in the same sentence. That call comes with the promise of power. And you've experienced it, haven't you? Sometimes you're, the timing of your need and its arrival was slightly different. And you worked your, your way through that, keeping your eyes and your focus and your habits and your disciplines in line until that moment of power that took you upward and onward came. Number three, I want to talk about preaching. <laughs> I don't know if all of you are preachers. I know some of you are preachers. And, um, and, and styles of preaching are so wide as styles of personalities and styles of, of thinking. And so I stumbled across a phrase that I like so much from Phillips Brooks, who says that preaching is truth filtered through personality. Truth filtered through personality. Some are bombastic and some are very um, dogmatic. I grew up in a time of very dogmatic preaching. We, uh, the preacher last night referred to that, did he not? And it was good for us, but uh, <laughs> I won't go there. <laughs> some of us who are, have, be, have a little more creative gifts are squirming a bit because we know that the that God is magnificent in his ways. And, uh, and the truth goes forward, but it comes out through our personality. And I had a dad, my dad again, and it, he has gifted me with that same thing of, of a sense of humor. And it's just who I am. It's not something I think about doing, but you can find, I mean, there's so much humor in the Old Testament, for goodness sakes. How can you not? How can you not see the irony? How can you not see what God is doing as we look back on the workings that are reported in the Testaments? So preach, but know it is the word of God filtered through your personality. And then let me say this. Jesus wants you to be like you. <laughs> That's why he made you. And when he made you, he said, it is good. And if you're a woman, he said, it's really good. <laughs> 
Will you remember that on one of the eat worms kinds of days? Or maybe you never do want to. Well, I don't either, but I sometimes open the can, take a smell. <laughs> um, yes, so we remember that, that God has made us a woman. He has pronounced us good, and he wants you to be like you. Some of us in our early days uh, are trying to figure out how we should, we should be. So we pick out our favorite idol. In my case, it was Elizabeth Elliot. I thought I should be like her. Well, A, I'm short and dumpy, and she's tall and regal, and she's bony, and she's brilliant. And I don't know. I, had, I tried that for a while. It totally did not work. And I've tried others, and that's none of your business either. <laughs> but then I decided I will be me, and of course I will be flawed, and of course folks will will not like all the characteristics about me. And of course, yes, of course. But I will be me. Not, not I'm me. You better like me or not because God made me and said I was good because that won't work, friends. <laughs> but as we, as we lift ourselves to be the person, uh, we often sing to be like Jesus. And yes, we want to be like Jesus. We want the Jesus part that he can make of us. He trusts you to be like you. Will you remember that? Because sometimes folks have words for you. (laughs) Very, very encouraging words. Thank you so much. Dr. James Bradford was my pastor in Southern California for a few years. The man's amazing. He is just amazing. And I say my because I often found myself staying home to raise the children while Ray was out doing what he did. And the rest of the time I traveled with him. And so I had the privilege of listening to Dr. Bradford so many Sundays. One of the things he prayed every Sunday is, Lord, help us not to fall into the words that others bless us with. Lord, help us not to fall in love with the blessing words. <laughs> I had never thought about saying that to God before. I just knew that sometimes when I was dead tired and I had worked so hard, encouraging words helped me a lot, especially when the paycheck wasn't all that great. And so, uh, yes, I, I like the encouraging words. I felt lifted in my spirit. I felt rewarded somewhat. And that's an okay thing, of course. But I remember when Pastor Bradford prayed that. I prayed with him. And time after time, he'd say, Lord, help us not to fall in love with the good words people say about us. I like that. And then he used to, in his prayer, also say, And Lord, for the, those for whom no one is praying today, we pray for them, Lord. What a man. What, what great thoughts. And I'm sure that you incorporate those kinds of things in your prayers along the way, too. But if you have public ministry, I'd just like to say to you, don't negate how you pray when you lead your congregation in prayer. Teach them to pray. And that happens because you pray. That's so corny. I didn't even think that was worthy of putting a, 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 on our notes here today. But indeed, it's so, so very, very true that... Um, that our people learn so much about us. They learn about our, humi- our humility, our modesty, or lack thereof. Uh, and they learn uh, how, how to pray and list- by listening to us pray. And this is one of the great gifts we give. So I would, I would like to say to you, don't fall in love with the good words that people say about you. But, but feel good. If it feels good, take it. Because somebody is waiting for you. <laughs> with a word that will just absolutely... Uh, straighten you out. <laughs> a book was written back in the 70s, I believe it was written, uh, that talked about uh, warm fuzzies and cold pricklies. I don't know whether that was too old for you to even know about. Uh, but um, it, in the essence of that book, which is called I'm Okay, You're Okay, it, it said this, that the interesting thing you'll find out that that one warm fuzzy 
does not equal one cold prickly. It takes about 10 warm fuzzies to equal one cold prickly, especially for women, because we're word people, we're relational people. And our, the men are as well, but uh, at least in our family, uh, we're the ones uh, most often among them in the kitchen doing work or serving or in the trenches. It often works out that way. So um, you will get some cold pricklies. <laughs> and that could be God has allowed that to come your way. And it could be that they're right and it could be that they're really wrong. <laughs> and you just have to rest in that, don't you? You have to lift that up to Jesus. So Jesus, what of this cold prickly do I need to have today? What is it I was not listening to you say in correcting my path that this person has been willing to say to me? And is it true? <laughs> and if it is, get busy. And if it's not... As the poet said, with the breath of kindness, blow it away. <laughs> blow it away. All right. Uh, number four. Authentic ministry, that is our service to Jesus, is, more, is nothing more than the agony and ecstasy. Our authentic ministry, our service to Jesus, is nothing more than the agony and ecstasy of trusting God's power and grace as tested in the acid bath of circumstances. Uh, of uh, circumstances. Of circumstances, yes. The acid bath of circumstances. The actually being there. The actually wondering how indeed the mortgage payment will be made this month. And I wonder if anybody in this room has actually been at that crossroads yet in your life. I didn't ever ask to be there. None of us ever want to be there. But the acid bath of circumstances certainly is, produces the, um, the reality of the power of God that, uh, we, that we see and that authenticates our ministry. One other quote here by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I'm just trying to give you my best stuff out of all the years I've lived. What, what is it that that pushed me in my devotional moments, in my study moments, to find the, the nut again, outside God's word, which of course is, is our major source. Um, but what other thinkers, what other people who did it, what do you have to say to us? And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, when he talks about authentic godly living, it is authentic <coughs> godly living is characterized by allowing God's command, <laughs> God's command, and others' petitions, <laughs> which are both calls to us, are they not? Because that petition is right now, it's 10, 10 o'clock at night, and they're saying, but pastor <laughs> um, or staff person, and their petitions, we allow God's call and others' petitions to break our routines, <laughs> to break our routines, to cancel our plans, and to divert our paths. Is that right? And that's it. And if you, I hope I'm, I don't mean to be pessimistic. I don't want to frighten young ones who've not experienced these things. But just know that some of us have been there. And it's all part of God. It's part of godliness. It's part of servanthood. And after all, since I'm really old and I'm really giving you the gutsy part of ministry, I want to say to you that if I had to sum it up in one word, it would be, as you know, what, what is a ministry person? We are a servant. It's the lowest rung. And that's why we love Philippians 2. When Jesus came into this world, remember, he took steps downward. 
and downward and downward in his suffering, learning obedience. Jesus, (laughs) who was sinless, also took the role of a servant. So you know all that. You preach it. But there's just another perspective for you today. Leaving the notes for a few minutes and just kind of telling you a story. I was in, uh, on a trip and went to Los Angeles Airport. You try to avoid LAX at any uh, possibility in your life. And on this day, I faced probably a, the size of our sanctuary last night, just of the uh, serpentine lines that you go through. You know, They think that if they make you turn enough, you'll get really dizzy and confused and you won't realize how long you've been standing there. <laughs> But you do get to make a few friends, and occasionally God might use it as an opportunity if you're encouraging someone else, if indeed your heart is right. <laughs> Keep that in mind. <laughs> so one day we're standing there and standing there and standing there, and I'm thinking, what is a nice lady like me with an agenda in life doing in a place like this? And uh, I found out, because uh, suddenly I heard something beyond my sight vi- uh, visage, and uh, uh, Indeed, a terrorist came around the corner pushing his mass, weapon of mass destruction in front of him. He was two years old, and it was his stroller. And he was running over people's bare feet in their sandals. He was hitting their shins. He was out of control. His parents were there. They had all the equipment they needed. They had passies dangling from fingers. They had sippy cups numerous. They had a grayed out blanket, holy and awful, and a bear with one ear. It was, but nothing seemed to work with this child. Someone said this phrase, and I thought of it at that moment, it doesn't matter who wears the pants in the family, it's the one in diapers who calls the shots. <laughs> and I'm telling you, if you have doubted that, you have not been in my house lately, because I keep my two-year-old every uh, two days a week. It's absolutely delightful and devastating as well. <laughs> so for a moment I felt bad about the two oldies over there who had allowed this child to terrorize the known public. But it was worth it all for this. The guy in front of me turns around, and this he said to me. He said, it looks to me like somebody forgot to give that kid his dose of act right. I like that. Oh, I said, man, I never heard that before, but that will preach. He did (laughs) not know. Um, And I preach it to myself. And every now and then, I see myself on a dizzying road (laughs) of being in control when he needs to be in control and I say oh God give me that dose of act right and by his Holy Spirit he does he brings it while I'm on my way preparing for someone else he brings it while I'm on my way to do good in his name and he does it when I'm on my way to find those other warm fuzzies that will take away the hurt of the cold pricklies and on we go dose of act right. We are Christian leaders by God's design. I'm going to leave the notes for just a few moments and just kind of pontificate here. Um, Let me remind you of this, that growing things change. (laughs) Growing things change. I think you might have heard this couplet before. And change causes discomfort. And discomfort is pain. (laughs) But pain eventually leads to health and healthy things grow. And that's sort of a cycle of how we are. Healthy things grow and growing things 
change. And that's, that goes for the new converts that come into your life. And that goes for the new concepts you bring in leadership. The change is wonderful and you need it. It must happen. I always remind myself, in fact, very often remind myself about the picture of growth that so many um, church growth experts might remind you of the bell curve that we tend to go up and then we tend to level off and plateau don't we i mean i think that's i think that's natural in business and in any enterprise there comes that time of leveling off and so what has to happen what has to happen at that point is we've got to grow again do we not and we will plateau in the bell curve again so it's a series of half bell curves because you don't want that dastardly second half of the belt curve to take over, which indeed it will. It is just a phenomenon of life and leadership. And it goes everything from new behaviors within yourself to business enterprises to the growth of the church. So healthy things grow. (laughs) And growth causes change. And change causes discomfort. Nobody wants change except a baby. And uh, when you're uncomfortable, it's pain, and, and uh, you have a lonely job as leader. And I know you've already discovered it. As you lead people, they will, they'll love you, <laughs> but they'll have their opinions. And you, in that moment, it's a crisis for you to, in the most kindly way, to show you've heard from God. Not necessarily to defend what you have done. But to be stalwart and say, I've heard from God. Well, Martin Luther King was the best of them, wasn't he? Where, he? where he led by his demeanor, by his voice, by his own heart assurance. And you lead that way when change needs to happen. You, I'm sure, could tell me more about that. Um, but all of us know that, that change causes discomfort. And discomfort uh, is awful. I'll stop there for a moment in our discomfort and rest there for a moment. I don't know about your journeys. Um, I don't know whether you are church planters or uh, staff people. Or if indeed perhaps you have had the experience of going into a church that is already uh, there. And and you now come as one of the serial serial pastors uh, to lead it. Does that apply to any of you here? Have you gone into a church that was already established and you've become the second or third or something pastor? 18th, 59th? Yes. And uh, so you, you know this, and I, but I will say it again for us to remember. When you go to a church that is new to you, remember this. The folks who are there like this church, <laughs> for the most part. They've, uh, they've gone to work days. They've prayed around those altars. They've uh, perhaps married their young, and certainly buried maybe some of their... They like that place, and they're there because they like it. And we're their guests when we first come, aren't we? <laughs> and we gain their love and their trust, don't we? And that's sweet. That's called the honeymoon, and it, it lasts a while. <laughs> but it doesn't last forever, and we know that, and we've been there. And we'll be compared to all those who were there, both good and bad. <laughs> that's just people. That's just their way. And as we begin then to pray about how God will use us, the one thing I would say, and, 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 I, and we must, we must, bring today into the churches that we have, right? We must. We must talk about now kinds of things as relates to the truth of God's word, sing today's kinds of songs, and, and relate and get today's kinds of ways. It is a monumental job to, turn, to, to shift the personality, the tide of a church. I honor you for taking that on, and God will help you. God will help you and give you wisdom. 
but do it slowly, I would say, simply because, huh? Yeah, well, maybe it's, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. But know this, that growth is intrinsic to the call of God, to the creation plan of God. It is. I mean, you see it everywhere. I got the most amazing picture of it in my home. I have a, a home there in California, two stories, and uh, behind it is a big southern porch because my husband, husband grew up in Georgia. It's a big, big porch. And on the far end of the porch, which would be about the length of this room, are morning glories. And someone told me, when I put the morning glories there, you will not be happy with yourself. How could I, how could I not be? I said to myself, I come out almost every morning and this purple array dances at me. And I say, God, glory to your name. You, <laughs> you remind me every day to glorify you. Morning glories, they're wonderful. Oh, my goodness, and they've been a stable part of our porch for well, nigh on to none of your business. No, about 20 years. <laughs> One day I came home and uh, unpacked and, and walked into my little bathroom. It is on the second floor and growing out between the well, woodwork and the floor was a stem and it had eight morning glory leaves on it. I kid you not, it was this swamp. That morning glory had gone the length of the porch, found my fireplace, and grown up to the second floor, and somehow found a ray of light between the floor and the floorboard, and the, and the yeah, that woodwork, <laughs> and pushed its way through, and then blossomed these amazing eight leaves. I said, God, I will never, ever doubt the power of growth again. <laughs> oh, I have. <laughs> Just in case I may, might sound noble at a moment like this. But God has put that in his creation. And I remind myself, the growth of him in me has the same life. And on days when I want to give up on myself, or when I look around and judge myself by the um, vital signs, of what's going on, I'm discouraged, except that I come again and say, God, this is your enterprise, your calling. Maybe I'm spending way too much time on this. And if it is, then it must be for someone, or probably me, <laughs> to remind myself again, yes, growth is what he's after in me, in the people, turning their hearts and sights outside this building to the devastating needs very, very close and very, very far away. And to those who are growing up watching how mom responds and watching how mom monitors what comes into this house and watching how mom forgives dad. <laughs> Mama, let that preach a minute. <laughs> watching mom, how she apologizes sometimes and says, I was wrong there. I didn't lead us right. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I want you to know that I know that, and I've asked God to forgive me. That's, that's, in mm, all we do, because for many of us who were children bearers and homemakers on our journey of faith and journey in ministry, responding to the call of God, have, uh, have that responsibility to so live at home. Ouch. <laughs> I think I'll just be quiet for a moment and say God is faithful. Got a problem? He's been there. You're part of his plan. He has a plan for your children. <laughs> and you aren't perfect. And what's new? And we had a boy who was a prodigal who dropped out of college. 
Don't mind that his father's the chairman of the board. That's not fun. Oh, God, don't you want to call us to Africa far, far, far away right now, Lord Jesus? <laughs> mm, one year, two years, three years. Guess who grew during those three years? Mom. <laughs> yeah. I grew in all the ways. The ways of wounded pride. The ways of understanding how much of myself I still have in me. How much I care about things that God maybe doesn't really major on. Oh, I wouldn't ever sign up for that school. And I wouldn't be worth a hill of beans without having gone through it. And one day someone said to me, Judy, (laughs) so you have a prodigal. Don't you know all of us are prodigals? Shut your mouth. I don't want to even take that on myself now, too, because I've been a good girl in the church. And someone wrote, it's not with the feet that one runs to or from God, but with the heart. And prodigals sit on the rows of our congregation and sit at our dinner tables, don't they? And God is the faithful one to call back prodigals. Why am I talking about that today? I don't know, except that it was a part of my life that I needed (laughs) a part of my life that I needed so I could empathize so I could really deeply understand that if indeed my son did become a board member someday which he he has it isn't because of good things I did (laughs) take no mind of that absolutely God is the faithful one and we come along he walks with us because all of us have left our perfect father all of us have been prodigals, lavish ones. Prodigal means lavish. Preach on that sometime. (laughs) The lavish love, (laughs) the lavish father, (laughs) the lavish son who wasted. But prodigal means lavish. And God's lavish grace for us as he allows these children to come into our life to hone us uh, and help us. And that's all part of what he does.